You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. The Satanist admits to being evil. We are all evil in some form or another. Evil has always existed. Perfect world most people seek shall never come to pass. Everyone makes him look so bad, you know, but I know that he's he's a nice person because I've met him and I know. He's convicted of 13 murders. I know. <laughs> but he's, he's really a nice guy. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones It's some monster party Welcome to episode 10 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me again today is my friend Samantha. Say something disturbing, Samantha. Soft, tender, and clean shaven. <laughs> Soft, tender, and clean shaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a phrase that's actually going to come up? That whole phrase like that is going to come up? Absolutely. Well, all right. Well, when you hear <laughs> soft, tender, and clean shaven, honk your horn. <laughs> so this is episode 10. Woohoo! I feel like that's a big deal. Yeah. I've seen online that the majority of podcasts, something like 70 to 90%, never make it to episode 10. But here we are. Hey, congratulations. Well, congratulations to you as well. Thank you. I want to say, like, how wonderfully surprised I am about how many people actually bother to listen to this. I know. It's, you know, I, I would I would do it anyway, but I thought maybe five people would listen to half of one episode, and that would be all we would get. But the past few episodes, every, every episode that's dropped, the website's got close to 10,000 hits, and, like, the downloads are, like, 1,000. That's still, I mean, that's not a big deal. That's still not even enough to get a sponsor or anything, but it's enough for me to be very excited. Oh, yeah. It blows my mind. I think it's so awesome. Thank you, everybody, for yeah. listening. Thank you, everyone. And, 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 you know, and things like I sent a package to Australia. I know you did. And what they was sent that? Me a, I, it was a, a Where's the Line hat, and they sent me a picture back wearing the hat. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Somebody on the other side of the planet is listening to our show and wearing our hat, and she looks fantastic in it. That's incredible. You have to show me that picture later. You know, I think all we've got left on the website for sale are coffee mugs. I think it'd be great if, if people bought a coffee mug, but if, if you're strapped for cash, just send me an email and I'll send you a free one. Hey. I'll even pick up the shipping on it. It doesn't get better than that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's an incredible deal. Just if you're strapped for cash. I mean, like if you're like a college student living off of ramen noodles or you're between jobs or something, you know, I've been there. If you need a coffee mug, let us know. We'll send you one. You're such a benevolent host. <laughs> but only in the Intercontinental 48, because as I've learned recently, filling out customs forms and sending things to another country is a pain in the ass. I don't hate foreign people. But he I will doesn't. only send you a free coffee mug if you're if you're in the United States. Um, I guess you should probably get some more hats made. Uh, well, we never sold any. <laughs> just I gave them all away. Anyway, <laughs> that's that, that, that's all just to say thank you all so much for listening. So, are you ready to get into this episode? Hell yes. Let's do it. I'm about to confess to having done something 
a long time ago that was probably maybe illegal, but I've already talked about making bombs in uh, the last episode, <laughs> so just fuck it. Let's just keep going on with my uh, criminal career for which I've never been caught. Oh, my. You know, in this thing, I, I feel like the statute of limitations, if this is illegal, the statute of limitations has certainly run out on this because this was a very long time ago. And if for some reason the statute of limitations is not applicable to this, mm -hmm. this is fiction. Disclaimer, this is fiction. This is fiction if the statute of limitations is still applicable. Otherwise, it's absolutely true because it is true. <laughs> Un unless unless I could still get in trouble for this, in which case it's fiction. Anyway, many, many years ago, I was bored, and I decided that it'd be a good idea to start writing letters to the most notorious serial killers who were still alive at that time. Uh, I also felt that I would have a better chance of receiving replies from these men if I pretended to be an attractive young woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I misrepresented myself to these serial killers. Uh, and I also did some kind of uh, sketchy things to set up an anonymous post office box. I felt like I needed to present myself as a female because of a phenomenon that I had just heard about, which was that of the serial killer groupie. Yeah. So a, a lot of these high-profile serial killers get hundreds of letters from women who they've never met and who are interested in beginning some kind of uh, romantic relationship between themselves and this high-profile killer. Indeed. And that's what we're talking about today. Serial killer groupies and how I catfished Richard Ramirez. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, I decided to start writing these uh, notorious serial killers. Thought I'd have a better chance of getting replies if I could convince them that I was a woman. So I went and I bought a bunch of hot pink envelopes <laughs> to mail Excellent. my letters in. I practiced my handwriting mm -hmm. so that I would, you know, have that, not to appear sexist, but, you know, that big looping kind of script in my writing. I think I even started dotting some eyes with hearts. Yeah, the, the handwriting of a, a dreamy, romantic yeah. woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to send these letters from my house because I don't want Charles Manson, who is one of the people I sent a letter to, okay. to know where I lived. Um, you know, Good probably form. nothing would happen, but I felt like I needed a P.O. box. But I also, I, I didn't know, I felt like the P.O. box should have a woman's name on it. So here's what I did. Okay, because I'm curious about this. So I went to the post office. I opened up a P.O. box under my name. Okay. Then I went home. And I called the post office and I said, hey, I just set up a post office box there. I'm living with my girlfriend, Lindsay. <laughs> I would like to have her name added onto the box if that's okay. okay. And they said, sure. And they added that name onto the box. A couple of days later, I called the post office back again. And I said, I have this shared P.O. box with my girlfriend, but... I don't want it anymore, but she says that she's going to keep it. Can you just take my name off of it? Wow. <laughs> and so they took my name off of it. And so now I have this P.O. box that belongs <laughs> to a fake girlfriend. That does sound illegal. <laughs> is, is this mail fraud? No. Okay. I hope not. Probably. If it is, and that's something that the statute of limitations doesn't apply to, then again, this is fiction. Yes. So I made up a I made up a girlfriend. <laughs> Incredible. Something I have experienced doing from high school. 
Um, and then I start writing these letters in this, uh, feminine script that I've been practicing and I start sending these letters out and I really just send them to the big names. Did you um, spray them with perfume? Sorry. I did, I did. not. Okay. Everybody asked me if I sprayed those really? with perfume, okay. but I did not spray them with perfume. Right. I did. I do think that I remember considering that, Okay. but I thought it might be too much. So I, like I said, I sent one to Manson. I sent one to David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, mm-hmm. and I only got a letter back from one of the people that I sent it to, and that was The Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Every true crime podcast has an episode on Richard Ramirez. I mean, he's one of he's one of the top ten, maybe even top five most famous serial killers in America. I think so, definitely. So we're not going to do a whole episode on Richard Ramirez, but just in case you're not that familiar with him or if it's been a long time, I'm going to do a quick rundown of Richard Ramirez's CV. Richard Ramirez was a serial killer that was active in the Los Angeles area in the mid-80s. He was convicted of murdering 13 people, and like a lot of serial killers, there's speculation that that number might be even higher than that. I think actually not that long ago, they did some DNA tests on a, I believe it was an eight-year-old. I believe um, so, yep. And determined that Richard Ramirez was probably responsible for that one too. And one of the unique things about Ramirez was that he didn't seem to have a type. You know, a, a lot of these killers will go after blonde women between 5'6 and 5'9 or something like that. Oh, definitely. Or brunettes. Yeah, but Ramirez was indiscriminate. I mean, it, a lot of the people that he murdered were elderly, but there were yes. also a lot of people in their 20s and 30s. And if that recent news is correct, even children. Mm-hmm. And that killing spree was huge news at the time. And the people in and around Los Angeles were just in a panic when this was going on. I mean, this was front page news. It seems like on most most days there was something on the front page about the Night Stalker. And they, they actually even started linking all kinds of things to him. So anything that would go wrong, any any unsolved murder, they were saying it was the Night Stalker at the time. I mean, what he was doing is bad enough, but they were essentially blaming everything on him. So the police are getting hundreds of phone calls every day from people that claim that they've seen the Night Stalker or they know who it is. And by mid-1985, without having any really promising leads, the police are literally just stopping any man who to them looks suspicious and searching their vehicles. That's how desperate they are to get this guy. Mm-hmm. They're even releasing statements to the public. I mean, they're already getting hundreds of calls about people thinking that they've seen him or that they know something about it. But the police, you know, after getting incredibly frustrated with not finding this guy, they release a statement to the public telling people to call 911 if they hear dogs barking at night, the, that's that's how on edge Los Angeles is. The cops are telling people to call 911 if you hear dogs barking. And so finally, in uh, August of 1985, Ramirez had gotten cocky and he left somebody alive to tell the tale on purpose. He told this person who he left alive, tell them the Night Stalker was here and a bunch of bullshit like that. Yes. And the cops end up pulling a print from this car that he had stolen to get away. And that, along with a mugshot that he had had taken over some other offense previously, Mm -hmm. uh, was enough for this victim to identify the Night Stalker and for the police to realize that 
that's who this guy is. And pretty soon after that, Richard Ramirez's name and photo were on the cover of certainly every paper in Los Angeles, probably the majority of the papers in the U.S. And when this news hit and Richard Ramirez's face starts showing up on all these newspapers, he's actually out of town and doesn't know that this has happened. Yes. And so the police are at the bus station because they feel like, okay, this news has broke. This guy's going to try to get out of town. Yeah, and he doesn't have his car anymore. (laughs) He doesn't have his car anymore. So they're monitoring all of this outbound traffic coming out of Los Angeles. Ramirez doesn't know any of this. He's out of town, and he comes back to Los Angeles. So while they're looking at the outbound traffic, he comes in from completely the opposite direction that they thought they were going to find him. Anyway, some people recognize him. Ramirez gets picked up, and goes to trial. One of the longest trials in uh, American history at that point, I believe it took a year to get through that trial and he gets sentenced to death. So throughout Richard Ramirez's trial and actually carrying on until his death, he was receiving a huge volume of letters. And most of these were from women who had some kind of romantic designs on him. And I think a lot of that had to do with some of the photos that came out during this trial. Because this is when people are, you know, beyond just that mugshot, getting their eyes on what this guy actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Richard Ramirez was arguably a pretty good looking guy back then. After they fixed his teeth. Well, no, I, that's what I was <laughs> yeah, going to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, he had potential. Yeah. He apparently had very bad hygiene and his teeth were rotten. Yes. Did you know that? When he was a kid, like his teeth started rotting even back then. Like his friends and family said that he would start off his day eating like chocolate donuts or chocolate cereal and Pepsi. And yeah, like. And just never brushed his and teeth. Never brushing his teeth. Yeah, they were in bad shape. Yes. But after a shower and a haircut, and if he didn't smile, pretty all right looking guy. I'll give you that. I mean, the photo of him in the courtroom holding up his hand and he's got the uh, the pentagram mm-hmm. on his hand mm-hmm. and he's smirking but not smiling so you can't see his teeth. Do you know the photo I'm talking about? I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. He looks good there. I know. I, I hate to say it. What? <laughs> that he looked good there. But he did. You know what? We'll, we'll, post a pic- we'll post that picture on the Facebook page and do a poll. <laughs> and yeah. if you didn't know this guy, if you did not know that this guy had murdered 13 people, would you think this was an attractive man? Exactly. And maybe also if he didn't, maybe I'll Photoshop something other than a pentagram on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> like a heart. <laughs> also, you know that photo uh, when he's wearing the uh, black aviators in the courtroom and his hair is kind of longer and like a long mullet and he's looking back and pulls his shades down a little bit. I don't know. I feel like once he grew the mullet out. No, you didn't like that. That was, nah, that was, that was it for me. No more. Mm-mm. Okay. No. So anyway, obviously I'm not female. I also, you know, even even if he was all right looking back then, at the time that I wrote him letters, he had that fucking mullet. So yes. uh-uh. mm-hmm. no, no. Mm-hmm. there's no, I just want everybody to know that I did not write to Richard Ramirez because I had any kind of romantic interest in him. Yes, Kevin is not a part of these subjects that we are talking about today. <laughs> no, no. So let's take a minute, because I did write to him and he did write me back. Uh, let's take a minute to examine the kind of things that a young woman might have expected to receive had she written 
the Night Stalker. One of my favorite things about this letter, uh, and by the way, we're going to have this letter on the website. So if you want to see this letter in its entirety, we're going to put it up along with a short article about this episode. But in my letter to him, I pretended to be very impressed with his height. And I asked if he was really as tall as he looked. Uh, he replied that he actually was tall. In fact, he says he was six foot and two inches. And that was funny to me because I'm six foot four. I was about to say, aren't you taller than that? I am taller than Richard Ramirez was. So there's a little, uh, you know, just some benign shooting of the breeze type comments. He asked me if I would make 20 copies of a list of things that he was allowed to receive in San Quentin, where he was. <laughs> um, and it's not really a very long letter, so I'm just going to read the rest of it past that point right okay. now. So past that, the Night Stalker writes, quote, Please send pictures of yourself and any others you might have. Sign them on the back with your name, enclosed as a questionnaire so that we can get to know each other better. Would you care to fill it out? Which is your favorite type car? <laughs> Mine is Corvette. Have you done any traveling? Want to wish you happy upcoming holidays. That's all for now. We'll write a longer letter next time. Sincerely, Richard. Mm. There's a lot to unwrap there. Yeah. There's absolutely not a lie. His favorite car is Corvette. Yeah, you know what? He's a goddamn liar. Because I've seen him say otherwise, but we'll really? talk about that in a minute. All right. Yeah. Well, that questionnaire that uh, he mentioned sending, he did send that. And uh, I believe we're going to uh, take a crack at answering a little right. bit of that right now. Question seven. I love question seven. Richard Ramirez wants to know, what are your likes? Horror movies and Red Lobster commercials. Red Lobster commercials. Yes. I don't think that I can recall right now a red what's your favorite red lobster commercial well every year whenever they do lobster fest i love those commercials specifically because lobster is my favorite seafood although i love all seafoods i like it when they do shrimp fest too but um yeah basically when they have the lobster fest commercials <laughs> but any red lobster commercial i mean <laughs> it's true that when i see a red lobster commercial i won't even know it but i'll start making noises i'll be like whoa you bark when you see Red Lobster commercials? No, it's not barking. That's like exclamating. I'm just so excited, like pumped. like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just march around the room going, Whoa, yeah, lobster. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Night Stalker in question number eight would like to know, what are your dislikes? People that hurt animals. Mm, that's a good one. I don't like those people either. Yeah. What do I really dislike? I know something you really dislike. What's that? You dislike people that think they're smarter than you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Well, I've always noticed that if you're in a room and someone's... Smarter than me? <laughs> I don't like them. No, uh, whenever you've been in a group of people and someone's trying to demonstrate their proficiency in something... I have found that you always find cause to make fun of them. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think that a lot of times somebody will, I, I, I think you would call it like the, the I've heard it called the first year graduate student syndrome where they try okay. to yes. overcompensate. Yeah. 
And they try to make something sound very complicated that's not very complicated. Yeah. I mean, of And I will point it out. I know. I mean, that's why I like you. You're a very cynical person. I like that about you. You know it's true. <laughs> I'm just making myself sound worse and worse the longer this podcast goes on. No. I blow shit up. I write letters to serial killers. I've sympathized with a man that fucked a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Hey. Well, we made it to episode 10 at least. Yeah. Going strong right now. So what's your dislike? Obviously, what I said was not true about you. I dislike it when people point out things about me that hit too close to the mark. It's been a long time since that happened. You know, (laughs) at least 30 seconds or so. So here's what I dislike. All right. I dislike those moments where something happens and it just sticks with you for the rest of your life, like those arguments that you get in that you fail at and then you end up reliving the argument in the shower. Do you know those uh, those blade hand dryers yes. that have like the really powerful jets and you put your hands in them straight down and mm-hmm. it goes and you slowly raise your hands back out of them? Right. The first time I ever saw one of those, I was at the university and I used it and I was like, this is amazing. And then after that, I went to uh, this bar with some people from work. Yeah. And I went to the bathroom, and they obviously did not have one of those air blade hand dryers. But I thought I was in the bathroom by myself, and I was still thinking about the air blade hand dryer. Right. And so I was just, I had washed my hands, and I was just standing there with my hands in the position as though they were in the the (laughs) air blade hand dryer. Mm -hmm. And I went, and like slowly lifted my hands up <laughs> and there was a fucking dude in there right behind me. Oh my God. And that was years ago and I still think about that probably once a week. Did you guys acknowledge each other? What had just happened? Uh, no, I didn't anyway. I didn't I didn't look at him. I just recognized yeah. that there was someone in there with me and uh, <laughs> I left. Let's well, moving on. The nice talker would like to know what gets you excited. Red Lobster commercials. God damn it. No, you can't You can't use Red Lobster commercials for two. What else gets what? you excited? All right. And um, I don't think that that's what Richard Ramirez is getting at with that question. Okay. Uh, what gets me excited? Cleaning products. Hmm. Yeah. That is the best gift anyone can ever give me is like a multi-package of Lysol wipes or uh, I really like this pledge all-purpose antibacterial spray, but it's like five bucks, so I won't splurge and get that for myself. My parents will get me one sometimes to for Christmas. You know, if we ever do <laughs> increase our listenership somehow, you know, because I was listening to uh, My Favorite Murder the other day, and they were yeah. talking about you, they get they apparently get so much chocolate in the mail that they had to say during their episode, please stop sending us chocolate because we just have too much and we can't even possibly eat it. Are you and serious? now I, you know, in the fantasy future where this podcast blows up, we're going to get nothing but those fucking Lysol wipes. We're just going to have cartons of Lysol wipes. We could sell them on eBay, though. God, that would be amazing. What gets you excited? I should have thought about this since I have had this note for <laughs> yeah, a decade or more. Yeah. Um, You've had some time to ruminate. Yeah, and I knew we were going to do this, and I just didn't think about Good it. Good Lord. Um, you answered the last question for me so well. <laughs> do you know what gets me excited? Um, I mean, I know you're a sick bastard, 
So there's plenty of horrible things that get you excited. What? <laughs> that's not. I don't get. I don't think that the things that get me excited are sick bastard things. Okay, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't tell if you're joking or not. Now. You know I am. The Night Stalker would like to know what was high school like. Um, high school for me was. Uh, I didn't enjoy myself. I was an art geek, a band geek. But I had a nice group of friends, actually, that were not in high school. I only hung out with college people, mainly, that I would meet because I hung out on the strip all the time at the Crimson Cafe, Um, you know, as an underage person. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't really get along with anyone I actually went to high school with. Um, I couldn't wait to get out. Me too. High school was fucking miserable for me. I was the the third least popular kid. Uh, oh, <laughs> behind, third? Yeah, well, yeah, because there was the kid that had some kind of genetic disorder where he smelled really bad all the time. And, oh. like, there wasn't anything he could do about it. Like, he would bathe. Oh and then God. he would just still smell really yeah. bad. And then there was the kid with the uh, with the crooked leg whose dad made him shave his head. And then there was me <laughs> right wow. after that. Yeah. So high school was terrible. I got beat up a lot. You would consider yourself a cool kid, though, right? You you knew you were cool. No, I was not <laughs> cool at all. No, I I probably deserved <laughs> everything I got in high school. <laughs> the night stalker would also like to know what's your what's your average day like. In all seriousness, my average day: I wake up, I clean numerous litter boxes, and then I just go about my day helping people. Helping people. Yeah, helping people. Philanthropy is what you do the rest of your day. Mm -hmm. I help various people throughout the day. Clean the house and then move on to philanthropy. Yeah. And then... What kind of uh, philanthropic activities do you engage in on your average day? Like just the other day, I was in Walmart and there was a little old lady in the freezer section uh, trying to get some healthy request meals. And she started talking to me and asking me if I knew about the uh, chicken and pineapple one. And I was like... Oh, uh, no, I, I have never had it. And she's like, well, that's what I'm looking for. And you helped her find the chicken and pineapple. Yes, because you know why? They were on the very bottom, towards the very back. There was no way she was going to be able to reach in and get those. So I got her about six of them, which they were for her and her husband. But I do stuff like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I go out of my way to help people. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, I would also help an old lady reach a frozen meal. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not leave the Night Stalker himself out. Richard Ramirez himself answered a questionnaire one time. Why don't you tell us about that? I sure will. Okay. A pen pal of Richard's uh, sent this to him once, and he filled it out, and I'm just going to touch on some of his answers. answers. Yeah, some of the better answers. Okay. So this is important. When asked what his favorite car is, in this question here, Richard Ramirez states that the Lamborghini in the San Quentin parking lot is his favorite car. And then Mm. he says, ha ha. Um, You know what? I feel like he's being disingenuous with that answer. I feel like it's really the Corvette. I think you're probably right. He was trying to be funny. He was trying to be funny. So when asked... What his most treasured honor is, he states, my dick. <laughs> um, last book read, the Marquis de Sade's Justine. 
which I've read, Justine. Have you hmm. read, Justine? No. It's a tale of incest. And you think that's in the prison library? Yeah. Would they keep materials like that for them to read? That would... I guess somebody could have sent it to them. Maybe. If I were president, I'd... And Richard says, I'd rule with an iron heart and a rock-hard dick. An iron heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder if he meant fist. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I've never heard the expression rule with an iron heart. Oh, me neither. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It makes sense. But... I mean, I think he knew what he was doing, though. Thoughts on drugs. He says they're great. They should be legalized. I agree. Thoughts on sex. It's great. Everything goes. Do you think serial killers might be especially good in bed? No, I would think they'd be especially bad. Really? Yeah. Why? I think most serial killers obviously have uh, issues with women. Mm-hmm. Tends to go with the territory. Yeah, it does. And so I just don't think that they would know how to please a woman. They only know how to hurt them and get themselves off. You know, I, I just can't imagine any serial killer being an excellent lover. That's a good point. Because I, w- I was kind of thinking, you know, down for anything, like, you know, throw you against the wall kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, they do They do seem to have uh, timidity towards women mm-hmm. that I feel like builds up and then eventually explodes and they kill somebody. Yeah, because usually their passion isn't even in a sexual nature, even when they rape women. It's, like they say, all about the power and controlling and so I just don't know if that could ever translate into truly pleasing a woman. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Um, okay, just to finish up, sexual likes and dislikes. Richard says, great, everything is good, except fags. Lesbians are okay. <laughs> Horrible. And last question, uh, what are you thinking right now? Richard says, can I suck your toes? Ew. Yeah. I'm not a foot guy. <laughs> I don't like feet. I wish people just didn't even have them. I wish it was like some mechanism at the bottom, maybe like a metal thing at the bottom of your leg so that feet just didn't even have to exist, or at least the toes. Why do we need toes? Why can't it just be like, like uh, just make just make the front of your foot a little bit longer? <laughs> With no toes. With no toes. You don't like the way toes look when they're the toenail itself is painted? I mean, I guess that improves it, but they still look like little deformed fingers. Yeah, and you know, I do have... Mutant toes. Have you seen mine? Both my feet, uh, the last two toes, the pinky toe and the toe next to it, are like two inches shorter than the rest of my toes. But let's see one. <laughs> You're about to gross me out. Because, I mean, just a regular toe's gross. Okay. Oh, why does the one next to the pinky one like cross under the pinky one? I don't know. But do you see how they're both really short compared to... <laughs> see, that's not see most people. Your toes? pinky toes looks longer than the than the next to pinky toe. Yeah, and it gnarls over it. Those feet are just too horrible. Put them away. Well, I guess we proved your point about feet being <laughs> hideous. <laughs> just kidding. They're not as bad as I made it out to be. <laughs> that one toe crossing under the pinky toe is kind of weird, though. Um, so hopefully it's obvious that that my interest in writing Richard Ramirez. Uh, It wasn't fueled by any kind of romantic interest because I have said that, I think, three times now. But I think the the vast majority of these fan letters that these serial killers are getting from women are fueled by at least some kind of fantasy interest, sexual interest in them. And there's a name for this. There is a name for this. And what is that name? It is called 
Hybristophilia. Uh, hybristophilia is when someone, usually women, is attracted to or sexually aroused by prisoners, you know, and people that have committed terrible, gruesome crimes, rape, and murder. Many hybristophiliacs think that they can change a man as cruel as a serial killer, or some even see the boy that is inside the man, and they want to nurture that. There is also a notion that these men are the perfect boyfriends because they are behind bars. These women know where these men are at all times, and they know that the man is thinking about them. Some women are just looking for fame. They want to get that movie or book deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with hybristophilia, there are two types. There's passive and aggressive hybristophiliacs. Passive hybristophiliacs are content to have a relationship with this killer while he is safely tucked away behind bars. Uh, these women try to avoid crime in their life. They don't actually want to commit gruesome murders themselves. Aggressive hybristophiliacs are fully aware that they are turned on by the brutality and violence, and they are often complicit in their lover's crimes. A famous case of aggressive hybristophilia, uh, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. And in the early 1990s, together they raped and murdered two teenage Ontario girls, and they also brutally raped and murdered Carla's own little sister, just as she was about to turn 16. They were eventually arrested and put on trial. But during the investigation, Carla told police that she had been abused by Paul and he had forced her to be an accomplice to these horrible murders. She struck a deal with the prosecutors and pled guilty to manslaughter, and she only received 12 years. Paul, however, received life in prison after he was, you know, convicted for the rapes and murders. Now, after Carla took this plea deal, videotapes surfaced uh, of the actual murders. And the, they were definitely showing that Carla was a willing accomplice, that she was completely in to raping and murdering these girls, including her sister. And uh, after this, the Canadian public was outraged, and the press coined the plea deal as the deal with the devil. Uh, of course, there's Carol Ann Boone, who married Ted Bundy in court during the end of his trial. She even conceived a child with him while he was in prison. Now, not through a conjugal visit. That's what I was going to say. I didn't think he got conjugal visits. He didn't. What he did, she came to visit him one day, and he passed her a condom full of his ejaculate. And she <laughs> got impregnated. Now, she eventually decided that Ted Bundy did commit all these murders, and she no longer wanted anything to do with him, and so eventually just cut out. You know. Oh, please. She thought he was innocent to start with? That's what she says. <laughs> and, of course, Ted Bundy had numerous hybristophiliacs shower him with attention while he was on trial and when he was in prison after he was convicted. Just women adored him. People say that he was handsome and uh, drove all these women crazy. Now, Richard Ramirez had hundreds of women writing him, wanting to be in relationships with him, to meet him. He carried on... Uh, pen pal relationships with so many women. And some men. And some men. <laughs> Unknowingly. Um, he had many admirers, some like Christine Lee, who uh, went on shows like Geraldo and Sally Jesse Raphael. And at the time, she was claiming that uh, Richard was her boyfriend and that he loved her and that she would kill any other woman that wrote him a letter. And she even said that she was willing to kill the president to prove how much she loved Richard. There's a famous fight that happened on Sally Jesse Raphael back in the early 90s between Christine and this girl named Eva, mm -hmm. who also was a young lady writing to Richard, uh, claiming that you know she was his girlfriend and he loved her. 
Do you know about the Women in Black? No. Well, the Women in Black was this group of women in L.A. that every day of his trial, they would dress in all black from head to toe. And they just were there to uh, support Richard. And they just wanted to stare at him during the trial. And, you know, they had a lot of, like, uh, appearances on television and such. Um, But this is what I really want to talk about. So Misty, when asked how Misty met Richard Ramirez, Misty said that she had seen a few documentaries about Richard on TV, and then she got curious and started wondering about him. Uh, She decided to write him and didn't expect anything to come of it, but he did write back. So they started writing each other constantly, and the letters started off friendly and flirty at first, but then quickly became more intimate. Here are some lines from a letter that Richard wrote Misty. He said, Warmest regards to you and Chloe. That's her sister. Uh, He mentions an upcoming trip the sisters are about to take to Utah. Uh, Richard asked Misty if she has ever read any biographies about musicians or bands. And then immediately after that, Richard asked Misty if her pussy is shaved. He then writes, I like soft, tender, and clean-shaven pussy. (laughs) I wonder, is there any indication of how she replied to that? I believe she said, no, it was not shaving. Oh, okay. um, in another letter, Richard told Misty that he wants to tie her up, gag her, blindfold her, and fuck her in every which way possible. Now, after writing back and forth for a few months, Misty has become obsessed with Richard. Even after all that, she decides that she wants to meet him in person. She wants to be able to see him and look in his eyes and decide for herself if he really killed all those people. He agrees to let her come visit him at San Quentin. So she's really excited. About what time period was this? Uh, This would have been probably 2011, 2012. But uh, Misty gets to the prison and finally gets to meet Richard. Uh, She was scared because of how tall he was, how large his hands were during the visit. Richard Ramirez sits in a chair across from Misty, leans back, and starts unbuttoning his shirt. The next thing she knows, his penis is out. (laughs) And how does Misty react to this? She couldn't move. She says that during this meeting, he was just staring at her, and she couldn't move, almost like she was in a trance. (laughs) Wait, a good trance or a bad trance? I think it was a bad trance. Okay. Because she says after that meeting with Richard, she did not want to see him ever again. She says that she knows that Richard Ramirez would absolutely come kill her if he were ever to get out of prison. And Misty says that anyone who is in love with Richard Ramirez is probably a psychopath. Hmm. So Richard is getting hundreds of letters from all of these hybristophiliacs, but only one truly stole his heart, and he married her while in San Quentin, and her name was Doreen Leoy. So Doreen is one of the first people that started writing to Richard, so as soon as his picture shows up in the paper, he's going to trial. Doreen starts writing to him. She seems to have been genuinely convinced that Richard was innocent, and she starts writing letters to newspapers under a bunch of different names so that it looks like there's more people than just her (laughs) who think (laughs) that he's innocent. But it was all for naught. You know, in 89, Ramirez gets convicted of all 13 of those murders and he gets sentenced to death. And even after that, she continues corresponding with him. And then in 1996, the two get married. And this marriage between... uh, A woman and a man who is on death row is not really as unique as it might sound. In fact, 
Richard Ramirez was not the only prisoner in San Quentin who got married that day. He wasn't even the only prisoner on death row that got married that day. What? There were in total, including Richard Ramirez, three death row prisoners just in San Quentin who got married on the same day. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It's just love was in the air in San Quentin. No (laughs) doubt. And this, you know, this... As Samantha has pointed out, with several other examples, this phenomenon of women developing relationships with incarcerated men who they didn't know previously is uh, a lot more common than you're likely to even think that it is. So how are these incarcerated men able to put the lockdown on these ladies? We don't, basically, we don't have any idea. (laughs) We don't know. There's not a lot of academic research into women who seek out relationships with the men who are incarcerated and who were previously unknown to them. So, I mean, there's a lot of situations where a man will be in jail. It'll be somebody that they already knew before they were, you know, locked up. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of thing happens. You know, people are in relationships before one of them gets locked up. Uh, But there's, there's not a lot of research on women who actively seek out men who are... In jail. We did find one peer-reviewed study on this topic, though. I got in touch with one of the co-authors and found out that this was originally a master's thesis that eventually got published, and it's titled, Characteristics and Personality Styles of Women Who Seek Incarcerated Men as Romantic Partners, Survey Results, and Directions for Future Research. So you know it's (laughs) legit if it's got a title like that. I mean, obviously... So some of the findings in this research, uh, which was actually, I believe this research was well done. Some of the findings in this were not really particularly surprising. Uh, It was found that a lot of the women who enter into these types of relationships have had kind of rough backgrounds with experiences like sexual abuse. Uh, They were victimized in various ways. And they often came from families where at least one family member had done some time. So they were kind of subjected to that sort of thing. What was a little surprising, though, was that they found that 70% of the women that they surveyed held college degrees. Is that surprising to you at all? That is a little shocking. So anyway, a large part of these women who, you know, maybe not the ones, all of the ones that are writing, but a large part of the women who actually do end up in relationships with these criminals uh, are actually pretty intelligent women and... That's something that was applicable to uh, the woman that that Richard married, I think, uh, because Doreen Leoy, uh, the woman that he married, was an editor. She was an editor of Tiger Beat magazine. <laughs> but still, I don't think of editors, you know, I don't think there's anything about being an editor that denotes any, you know, particular genius. But I do think that people who are editors usually aren't stupid. No, I would imagine not. They definitely have to have their wits about them. And, you know, I feel like Doreen Leoy actually did love Richard. Oh, absolutely. There are some of these women that I feel like are into this for the attention. I agree. I think most of those women that ran the gamut of those early 90s talk shows were just in it for the fame. I think Doreen, honest to God, loved him. I mean, at one time she was swearing that on the day he's executed— that she was going to kill herself. Yeah. And uh, as far as I know, uh, Doreen never tried to push out any book or get any kind of book deals or anything like that. And so it doesn't look like she was really getting, you know, any kind of financial 
benefits from benefits this from relationship. This. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and on top of that, her, her family disowned her when she married him. Yes. None of her family wanted to have anything to do with her after she married Richard Ramirez. And she even had a, a twin sister. They weren't identical. They're paternal twins. Even her twin sister severed all ties with Doreen once she got married to the Night Stalker. Like a lot of men sentenced to death, Richard Ramirez never actually made it to the execution chamber. After 23 years on San Quentin's death row, he died of complications related to B-cell lymphoma on June 7, 2013. Doreen Leoy never claimed his remains. That's going to do it for episode 10 of Where's the Line. If you enjoyed the episode, please hop on to iTunes and leave us a review. You can check us out on Facebook or on our website, whereistheline.net, where we'll post a short supplemental article about this episode, along with that letter that I received from Richard Ramirez. Again, if anything about the process of my receiving that letter falls outside of the applicability of the statute of limitations, the letter itself is fake along with my story. Someone actually emailed us recently. Jay Bowers writes, Love the podcast, you two. Intriguing, shocking, and very humorous. Keep it going. Would also love to know who does your title track. It's fucking great. Cheers. Hey. A few minutes later, Jay wrote back again to say, Hey, it's me again. I found the song. I should have just fucking read a little more. I can't stop listening. Please keep up your most twisted work. Cheers again. Jay. That's excellent. Thank you for both of those emails, Jay. Uh, I actually sent Jay a reply, letting him know that I'd send him a free CD, but I never heard back from him. So if you're listening, Jay, check your spam folder. We did get one more email. This one comes from Anonymous Hacker. Oh my. Anonymous Hacker writes, <laughs> The last time you visited a porn website with teenagers, you downloaded and installed the virus I developed. My program has turned on your cam and recorded the act of your masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) My software also downloaded all your email contact lists and a list of your friends on Facebook. You are very perverted. Exclamation point. If you want me to delete both files and keep the secret, you must send me the Bitcoin payment. I give you 72 hours only to transfer the funds. If you don't know how to pay with Bitcoin, visit Google and search how to buy Bitcoin. Oh my god. Do not try to cheat me! Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you open this email, I will know you opened it. I am tracking all actions on your device. If you choose not to send the transfer, I will send your masturbation video to all your friends and associates (laughs) from your contact lists that I hacked. Oh my god. You can visit police, but nobody can help you. I know what I am doing. I don't live in your country, and I know how to stay anonymous. Don't try to deceive me. I will know it immediately. My spy software is recording all the websites you visit and all your key presses. If you do, I will send this ugly vid to everyone you know, including your family members. Don't cheat me. Don't forget the shame. And if you ignore this message, your life will be ruined. I am waiting for your Bitcoin payment. You have 72 hours left. Signed, Anonymous Hacker. Oh my God. There was also a a PS included with Anonymous Hacker's email that informs me that I can have a little bit more time. (laughs) 
<laughs> to send the Bitcoin payment, but only if I really need it. Oh my god. <laughs> Thanks for the email, Anonymous Hacker. Please don't send out that video. I've got a much better one you can use. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under your bed.